I want to, uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today, and uh, this is, uh, we're going through this series on the book of Matthew, and uh, it's basically, uh, the book of Matthew is, in in a way, it's a life story of Jesus, and Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, um, if you don't have a Bible or your app, it'll be on the screen too, but if the, the man, Matthew, who wrote this book was writing it to a religious audience in that day, Jesus grew up um, Jewish, and in the, in, as a Jewish man, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of controversy because what Jesus did, in his own words, is fulfill the Old Testament law. Everything in the Bible up to the point of Jesus is pointing at or to Jesus, and when Jesus fulfills that, there's a lot of controversy uh, to that. When somebody stands up and says, I'm the, the fulfillment of everything that you were looking for, and you know where he's from, uh, that becomes difficult. Uh, we would say, if we lived then, of course we would believe in Jesus, but what if he was from your neighborhood, or what if he was your older brother? You know, that all of a sudden becomes kind of complicated. So Jesus, when he's walking around speaking and teaching and fulfilling law, and he's speaking as someone with authority, uh, starts entering into a lot of um, controversy. And there's controversy at a, at a political level, um, because their politics and their, they didn't have separation of church and state. It was the same. The Caesar, who ruled over the Roman Empire, who ruled over basically the whole wor- known world, the Caesar was considered like a god, or when he died, he became a god, those kinds of things. Caesar is Lord was a common saying. And so when Jesus walks in and people start saying, Jesus is Lord, uh, you can imagine that it'd be like if we elected our own president over here in Oregon and said, this guy's in charge. You know, there's going to be some controversy there. And so when Jesus does this, he starts creating a political tension, but he also starts creating a religious tension, because if religion and state are intertwined, then the religious powers have got a lot of power. And this isn't something that happened a long time ago, but when you start connecting, this is something that happens all the time, when religion gets connected to power, and especially the message of Jesus gets connected to power, we enter into a very dangerous place um, because Jesus' power comes from a different place than the institutions that people set up. What I mean is this. Jesus isn't as powerful as our church is. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if our churches are powerful or not powerful or influential or not influential. Jesus works independent of the structures that we set up to show him off. All right? When we have a Jesus that depends on us, we've flipped around who's God, all right? So when Jesus is walking on this earth and people are having conversations with him, a lot of times, people, they're having completely different conversations. Does that make sense? If you're married, this makes sense, right? You're having a conversation and your spouse or your partner is having a conversation with you and you're having completely different conversations and you have no idea what's going on, right? It's, it's fantastic. It's great. Um, but we, this happens all the, not just in marriage, this happens all the time. Um, and so when we read in chapter 16 today, Jesus is confronted by two religious slash political power groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is how great Jesus is. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other, but they united against Jesus because Jesus brought people together. See that? Uh, So they normally hated each other, but they hated uh, Jesus more. It's like we don't like Californians, 
but when they're playing hockey against the Russians, we love them, right, for a little while. So um, this is, you know, we had to talk Olympics, so let me read this to you. We're going to do 12 verses of uh, Matthew 16, but we're going to walk through it bit by bit, and the stories kind of uh, go together, and there's some background that I want to explain, and then we want to talk about implications that this has for our life. So this is Jesus. He's hanging around this Sea of Galilee, which we would call a lake, but um, this is a fishing community that he's going to. He's probably in a city called Magdalene, which has no, we have no archaeological record of the city, so we think it might just be an, like a nickname for the city or a common name for a city, so it's hard to tell exactly where he is. But the, this is what it says. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, the reason that they need a sign from heaven is because in their thinking, in their dominant worldview, you know God is working in someone if they receive signs from heaven. There's actually records of books from like magicians and sorcerers and stuff, people who self-claim those titles, who would talk about a signs coming from heaven validating their magic or validating the things that they do. And the signs were spirit messengers from these magicians' connections to the gods. And so it's kind of a superstitious uh, thought pattern in this to where if you th- the people think this way and if they think that way, then show us something. Now, so you know, Jesus has recently healed people from physical illnesses. He has cast demons out of people and allowed them to speak. He's given sight to the blind. He recently fed 5,000 people with five loaves and then a little while later fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. Like, if you're looking for miracles, Jesus has been doing a good job, all right? But the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and they need to figure this guy out. And when they ask him a question, notice this, they asked him to test him. They came and to test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. If you're God, imagine how it feels when people who don't like you come to test your authenticity. This is like if if you're awesome at something and someone comes up and gives you tips about it. I was in a room this week and uh, I was at this seminar and I turned around. This is trippy. Was a guy who looks just like Aaron Rodgers, right? Except it was he looks smaller. Ends up it was he is smaller. Uh, so I turned around and uh, you know decided because I'm from you know Seahawk country, I said you probably need to watch more Russell Wilson tapes, buddy. You know, like and I think he appreciated. I didn't really do that. All right, <laughs> but you can imagine the tension that would have built if I did, right? I didn't, I really, I didn't talk to him because I was like, he looks like that. And so people probably all the time are like, you look just like Aaron Rodgers. So I didn't, it was awkward. Um, as you can imagine, most things with me are. Uh, but you can, if you find someone who's awesome at their job or awesome at what they do, and then you find random people who decide, I'm going to give you some advice or I'm going to test your authenticity on that. That's, it's great, isn't it? It's awesome. When your kids tell you how to raise them, it's fantastic. (laughs) So Jesus answers them. He gives them this great answer. He says, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, 
It will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Huge stuff there. You might have a Bible that has the whole red sky at night, red sky in the morning thing taken out. Some people have taken, some translations have taken that out probably because of where they're written and meteorologically that didn't work as well. And so they thought, well, this must have been written down wrong because it's not true where we are. But where Jesus was, it was true. And that's how fishermen in a fishing community would know if they were going to work the next day, if the sky told them that it was going to be calm seas tomorrow. And Jesus says to them, so you can look at the clouds and see what's going on, but you can't look at what's happening around you and be able to tell what's going on. He's specifically talking about himself here. You can't look at me and what I'm doing and be able to tell that I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament law that the Pharisees and the Sadducees loved. And so they love this law. They know everything about this law. They've built extra laws that help them follow the original law. And yet they can't see what the laws are pointing at. They're so looking down and heads into it that they can't get their chin up and, able to, and be able to see that the one that they're looking for is standing right in front of them. Some people take this verse and do crazy things with it, right? And they read the headlines and say, that's the sign of the times. Jesus is coming back, right? I like to say Jesus probably isn't coming back. Like, not right now. And I like to say that because it would be cool if he did right after I said that, right? <laughs> because I, I think that would be a funny way to go into heaven. Probably not right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just think if, if Jesus likes to have a good time, I'll provide that for him, but... But Jesus actually refers to these people and says, you don't understand what's going on around you. You spend so much time just figuring out what the rules are, figuring out how to make sure I'm okay, that you don't see the things that God is doing around you, which again, isn't something that just happened a long time ago. It's something that happens all the time. Sometimes if you go into a friend's church or something like that, going into some of these older churches, it's like walking into, it's like a, like a, they have a TARDIS at the front. There you go, Dr. Hugh fans. And you walk out the back and it's all diff- you walk in, it's 2014, 1945, right? You come out from 1945 and go to 2014. Uh, and it's just this strange thing where we had this, uh, and it's not just churches. You can do this in all sorts of organizations. At churches, it's easy because they're easy to pick on. But you walk into these time warps where, This was the good times. This was the glory days. This was what we enjoyed. And we enjoyed that because we understood it. And honestly, we were just talking about this when we were setting up this morning. Like, imagine being a kid today if you're an adult. And imagine how complicated it is to be a kid today with social media and all that kind of political stuff going on and, and ambiguity as far as sexuality goes. And imagine being raised in that. It's natural for those of us who are older to think it was so much better when we were kids. Like we knew what was what. And we didn't have to worry about cyberbullying, right? Like if there was a problem, we solved it by looking at each other's faces and having a conversation, right? 
instead of tweeting things. Like, and how to, to be raised in that is, for us who are old, it's terrifying. For those of you who are young, we're honestly sorry for the world that we gave you. Whoops, right? There's some parts that are really good, you know, but then we take the dunk contest and destroy it, right? Like, there's parts of the world that it's become really, really difficult. And so for these Pharisees and Sadducees and for people who are loved the, the time that was, it's not something that we look at and go, oh, that's terrible. We look at and we love it. We love the way it was because we understood it. What we forget is probably when we were in it, we didn't understand it at all. Now that we're out of it, we probably understand it. And probably in 20 or 30 years, we'll understand what we did by starting an internet. Whoops, right? And, and as we grow into things, there's a natural tendency to go, oh, back there we got it. Jesus is bringing this new thing and it's really complicated because we've done this for a couple thousand years and so we're really good at it. Or we've been this kind of church or we've been this kind of society or this kind of organization for a long time. And I know you've got this new thing, but this really works. You know, when they invented cars, they were developing the best buggies in history. Like, in history, the best horse-drawn buggies ever. And then these weirdos wanted horseless ones? Like, why? These were the best ever. And you can't tell me now of course you're like well of course I would use a car but back then you'd be like well this horse-drawn carriage has worked for me it's worked for my dad it works for my dad's dad so you can take your silly car and I'll use this because it works we look back and that sounds ridiculous but it's what we do every day all the time and then we ask Jesus if you want us to go into that we need a major sign like, if, if God would come down from heaven, like, Moses had the advantage, right? Like, he went up to the, on the mountain, and God wrote down on tablets, do these ten things, and he walked down. Like, that's, that's what I want, right? I want to go up on a mountain, and God say, here's the ten things you should do with your life. Awesome. Then I know what I'm doing, right? But that desire to, that God give me a sign, God show up and... It's asking for something to fulfill my need. It's not asking for God to do what God wants to do in the world. And we turn everything around and flip so that we are what's important and God is here to serve us instead of we are here to serve God. Jesus actually points and says the only sign you'll receive is the sign of Jonah, which if you haven't never read it, there's a book in the Bible uh, called Jonah. It's about this prophet who hated his job. It was awesome. Like it, it is, you, on Monday, read this. Uh, Jonah goes to this town uh, that, of people that he hates. Like he is racially prejudiced against them and they hate his people. And God tells him to go there and preach and tell them. And he says, I don't want to in case they listen. And then he, he goes, and they, uh, they listen. The whole city repents. The whole city, like, gets saved. And Jonah is furious. It's awesome. 
he goes out and ends up like cursing a gourd. Like this plant doesn't grow right and he's mad at it and the book just ends. Like it's fantastic. It's like, I don't want to do that because what if it goes well? Because I want to maintain my hatred for those people. I like the old way. When Jonah's going, he gets on this boat and there's a great storm and uh, he's kind of hiding out and the, the, the sailors on the boat I guess, talk to their gods or something, figure out that the reason that they're stuck in this big storm is Jonah, and the solution to their big storms to throw Jonah overboard, right? This didn't come up when it was snowing last week. Like, who do we need to get rid of? (laughs) There's some people that if we just ran them out of town, the snow would stop, but just throwing that out there. Um, (laughs) So they throw Jonah overboard, and the Bible says that he was swallowed by a great fish. In Sunday school, they always talk about it being a whale, right? But Jonah was apparently swallowed by this great fish, and he was inside this great fish for three days, and then the Bible says he was vomited onto the shore by this great fish. And you can take that and go, that's not true, whatever, that fish don't do that. I'm not here to argue over that kind of thing. But what the story points to is Jonah going down for three days and being resurrected and being used to reach people who are outside of the chosen people of God and a whole nation, a city-state, changing. And so when Jesus says, I'll give them the sign of Jonah, he's not pointing at Jonah, he's pointing at the image that Jonah is of his own death, burial, and resurrection, where Jesus is put in the earth for three days and is raised from the dead, and entire groups of people who are outside of the Jewish faith, those of us here who are Gentile, become uh, open and able to receive the incredible news of Jesus. And the reaction of Jonah, if Jonah is the hero in the story, this is a Jewish story about a Jewish prophet, the reaction of your hero isn't what you were hoping for. Kids didn't dress up as Jonah for Halloween, all right? He wasn't the guy that they would look to because he's the guy who represents, I liked what it used to be, but through that, God began to do something brand new. And Jesus is saying, you see everything around you, but you can't see the very thing that's happening right in front of you. You look at the sky, you know the weather, you look at the, everything. I'm reading a book. It's a history of ESPN. I've been reading it for years. It's a thousand pages. Um, they ha- I don't know why I read this stuff. I love it. But they have people on staff at ESPN that can tell you the last out of every World Series since like 1920. The last out, what happened, who did it, how the game ended of every last out of every World Series. They have people at ESPN, a guy working in their stat room, who can tell you what every baseball card looks like from the 40s and 50s. So you tell him a player and a year, and he will tell you what that baseball card looks like. And he will tell you in the book that actually that year that guy had two baseball cards, one where he was just leaving the batter's box and one was just a posed picture. And he can just tell you this stuff because they know it and they've invested themselves in it all the way. And so when we look at this and we think, oh, Jesus, I know you're important and stuff like that, 
the truth is that we're really good at what we really want to be good at. We're able to invest ourselves in the thing that excites us the most. It's what we do. It's always fun if you want, just take a day when you're at work and listen to what people talk about in their casual conversation because people talk about the things that they care about. Some of us in here know incredibly awkward details about our favorite celebrities. Like awkward. Like if you walked up to them and started talking to them about it, it would be awkward for them because they don't know your name. And we know this stuff. I know how much athletes weigh. When I thought it was Aaron Rodgers, I googled him to find out how tall he actually was. And I now know forever how tall Aaron Rodgers is. I'm taller, but there's this, <laughs> there's this, it's just if you see me throw a football, there's a reason. It doesn't, height doesn't matter, all right? But there is this thing where we can invest ourselves in celebrities. We invest ourselves maybe in our work. Some of us are masters at the thing that we do. Some of us are masters at our hobbies or you can look at a car that's 60 years old and you can remember, oh, that's this, and it is from this year, and there were this many of those produced that year, and here's what's wrong with them, and here's what's great about it. Or you can remember the whole track listing from an album from your favorite band. Like, We can learn this stuff, and we can grow in this stuff, and yet for some reason we know all of this that's going on, but we don't have eyes to see what Jesus is doing right in front of us. Here's a fantastic example of that. The scripture continues like this. And the disciples reached the other side of the lake, and they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, Well, we brought no bread. (laughs) But Jesus aware of this, so they don't have to be worried. Leaven is like yeast, all right? So they don't have to be worried about the yeast from the Pharisees and Sadducees. They don't have any bread. Nice, Jesus, (laughs) moron. All right? But Jesus, aware of this, says this, O you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves, among yourselves, the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember that the five loaves for the five thousands and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousands, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Interesting side note, Jesus is probably speaking Aramaic. That's the common language. In Aramaic, uh, leaven is H-A-M-I-R. Hamir, I'm probably saying that wrong. Teaching, the word teaching is Amir, A-M-I-R. Leaven has an H in the beginning, A-M-I-R. Same word. Jesus completely uses a word play that we don't get to catch because leaven and teaching doesn't sound anything like each other. But Jesus says, beware of the Hamir of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they understood They did not tell them to beware of the hamir of bread, but the amir of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
That's, what, that's the vocalization that Jesus would have used. That's the words that the disciples would have heard. And after this, it's so awesome to make fun of Pharisees and Sadducees, isn't it? Those people that are legalistic, stuck in the past, you know, old-fashioned, blah, blah, blah. We're awesome. We're disciples. And us here, we're the grove. We are awesome. And Jesus speaks to them, and they go, <laughs> nice, Jesus. We don't even have bread, but hey, thanks for that warning about leaven. That the, like, did you even see any leaven with the Pharisees and Sadducees? Like, oh, I don't know. Jesus must be tired. He might, he might need some bread, right? Uh, Jesus speaks, and because of our lack of faith, because of our lack of understanding, we can miss the whole point of what he's saying. Like Jesus can be honestly communicating with you as an individual, you as a disciple, you as a, or us as a church. And yet we miss it because we think we're having this conversation and Jesus is having this conversation over here. And the reasoning, this is so shocking, the reasoning that the disciples don't have spiritual understanding Jesus, that Jesus points out he says, oh, you of little faith. The disciples who, we've talked about Peter walking on water, who saw Jesus calm storms, who experienced the feeding of the 5,000 and the miraculous feeding of the 4,000. They've lived through this. They've seen Jesus casting out demons. They've seen Jesus speaking and teaching as one with authority. They've seen the miracles. They've done the water to wine thing. They tasted it. They've been there. They have a long history with Jesus, like a couple of years of history with Jesus. Like we're getting into that point. And Jesus assesses their level of faith and finds it wanting. How would that go, right? Jesus runs your Facebook who are you personality and it comes back, you don't have adequate faith for your level of following Jesus. Like you've been following Jesus for decades now, for years now, and your faith is found wanting. Not the assessment you want, is it? That's, it leads me to believe that the Bible's true because I wouldn't, if I was writing this story, include this about myself. And this is where Jesus said that I honestly am inadequate in my level of faith. And that is why I'm unable to perform at the level that Jesus wants me to spiritually. See, we are, and not just in our culture, but in our area and in our church, we are pretty, we're pretty smart. Some of us have been to college, right? And we've taken courses on balloons and what color they are. And we know what's going on in the world. And yet Jesus can say, yeah, I don't understand why you're having that conversation. We can have whole arguments on the validity of the book of Jonah and whether he really got swallowed by a fish or not. And we can go and measure the biggest fish that we can find and then we could imagine it or then we could talk about the effects of a fish's stomach acid on a human body over three days. It seems ridiculous, right? Just scientifically this can't happen, therefore the story's probably not true. 
And we can have whole discussions about it. We can have, like, debates. We can have, write books. We can have whole, like, this can be big stuff because we enjoy it, because it reminds us of the things that we have a handle on. And Jesus is over here going, why don't you let go of that and we'll move on to something that's actually interesting. Isn't that what you want to hear from Jesus? No. We want to hear, you're good enough. You're awesome. I made you exactly the way I want you to be. We, I want Jesus to be my friend. And I don't ha- want friends who say, you know, James, your faith level is just inadequate. But you know, when you, when you say that and when you think that, Actually, those are the exact friends I want, aren't they? Aren't they the friends you want? Friends who are honest with you in the most, but like, sorry, not just friends who are honest with you, but honest with you and love you. Does that make sense? Like, I have lots of friends who are honest with me, but I don't like them. (laughs) And they don't like me, (laughs) all right? We're friends, (laughs) all right? But, But then we all have friends who will tell us the truth when we actually don't want to hear the truth. But deep inside of us, the truth is the thing that we want more than anything. Isn't it? When the disciples are following Jesus, when we're following Jesus, having faith is exactly what I want. Like I want to have I don't want to be called, oh, you of little faith. I want to, be, I want to have great faith, and I want, to, I want to see what happens out there. I want, to, I want to be able to see the signs of what Jesus is doing around me and be able to engage with what Jesus is doing around me because I, I know a lot of stuff, and I can predict a lot of stuff that's going to happen. I have apps that tell me the weather, right? Like I, I, I can predict market changes. I know the organizational dynamics. I can tell in my job when there's going to be a busy time and when there's going to be a slow time. I can predict how things are going to go. But what I really want is to be able to see what Jesus is doing in the world and be able to get alongside with that, and that's where I want to be at. But the time that I spend engaging in figuring out all this other stuff just serves to show even more how little I understand about what God's doing right in front of me. I don't know if you've ever had like a major breakthrough with God or in your life if you've experienced that or if you're someone who's kind of been a fan of God, like maybe you know a lot about God or a lot about Jesus or a lot about the Bible, but then you actually like, the conversation changed and all of a sudden you feel like you know Jesus, like you know God, like, I, like you have conversations with him, you live life with him. That shift and that major breakthrough is like the weirdest transition that a person experiences. Because you can be having conversations with people who just know about God, and you're talking like you, they're ha- here having this conversation, and you're over here having this conversation. And you're, it's just the oddest thing. The seminar thing I was in this week um, was with this author guy, and, and people, uh, people would ask questions, 
And some people would ask questions, and I'd just be like, what? I don't even understand what planet you're on. Which isn't an about, you know, I'm judging them, but it, it could be a judgment on me really easily, all right? But you've been in those where you're in a class and someone raises their hand, and you're like, what? Like, they think this class is about this, and I, I think this class is about this over here. Sometimes I'll, <laughs> there was one time I did a sermon, and we used to take teenagers on missions trips when I was a youth pastor, and we would do these sermons where we uh, exposed the congregation to missions and talked about prayer support and partnered and, and uh, gave them a chance to give because the teenagers don't have any money and stuff like that, and it was, it was amazing. We did two services in the morning. It was at South Albany Church. In between services, a woman comes in, and she wanted to become a Christian because of what we talked about. I didn't even tell her that was an option. Like, I'm having this conversation, and God's having this conversation with her. It was the strangest thing. And my first reaction is, how do you even know that? Like, I didn't tell you that you could do that. You know? <laughs> Luckily, those words didn't come out of my mouth, right? <laughs> but I'll be having this conversation over here, and what God is doing is this incredible thing over here, and I have no idea and what I want is this conversation over here. I want to have the kind of eyes that see what God is doing, the kind of heart that can feel the way that God is moving. I want to have that sense, that almost innate feeling of the Spirit of God at work. And it appears that my tendency as a human being is to turn around and go back to that which is comfortable, that which I understand, grab a hold of that. And that leaven, as Jesus describes it, the way that leaven works or yeast works is it just like spreads through. You can't like identify, like it's not like a raisin or a nut, you know, like, oh, that tasted good, you know, like it spreads through. And the deception of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this instance is this deception that sinks into you and you don't even know like, this is the true nature of being deceived, is that we're deceived about even being deceived. That we've fooled ourselves so well that we don't even know that we've missed the whole point. Like, it's, you first have to do this discovery that there is another conversation before you're able to move over to that conversation. You first have to discover that it's more than just knowing about God or being like a big fan of God, like I cheer when God does something good, when God gets a touchdown or something, like, oh, God, good job, you know, and, and when God doesn't do what I hoped he would do and when he doesn't cure the cancer or solve the world's hunger or get me a good parking spot, then it's like, oh, God, did you kind of drop the ball today, you know? But there's a whole other conversation happening and a whole other way of life that involves intimacy with God where people live in faith and they're not having a conversation about God, they're having a conversation with God. So that when they leave on a Sunday morning, they're not saying that was good or that was bad, they're saying that was a good conversation or I feel like this is what God said to me or I feel like this is what I was saying to God. But this over here, this karaoke thing, this American Idol, yeah, the band was good today. The band is good every week, right? Nothing, that's a good, that's a compliment, right? But like, oh, I really like the coffee this week or the sermon made me laugh. Like, 
over here there's this group that's sitting there going, you know what, today in this group with a bunch of people, I felt like I had a conversation with God. I felt like God was speaking to me. James was preaching about something, I don't know what, but the band sang some songs. I'm not sure. I didn't sing the words because I was busy having a conversation with God, and God was busy having a conversation with me. Like, where do you want to be, right? And the truth is, part of us, of every one of us, wants to be over here. We want to be safe, and we want to do the thing we know. That's why I can set the chairs up personally for you because you sit in the same spot every time. I can tell when you're not here, <laughs> right? But it's why. We, we have this natural, I don't understand it. I do the same thing, but we have this natural, this is kind of where I think we want to be because this over here seems weird, new, dangerous. It seems different than most people I know because really most of the, Christians that you know are really big fans of Jesus, but I'm not sure that they actually know him. We have conversations here that are pretty funny just about trying to make sure you don't make friends with people from other churches. Because when you serve, we want you to know, like, we don't want you to know that you're supposed to hate it. We don't want you to find that out from people who work at other churches. <laughs> I, I try to I don't have a lot of relationships with pastors. I have this thing where I want to change the world. It's kind of weird, I know. Like, I basically think that I'm important and a big deal. That's awkward. But then I have conversations with people who are totally satisfied with life. Like, life is great. Like, I love where I'm at, and I just would like to just, like, work this groove. And, you know, they're, they sit in the same seat at their house every time and it just is forming to their butt and you're then that's success and i'm in this area of my life i want something more i want something new and what i want is that to be my whole life isn't that what we want that chair with a groove that fits my butt i love it it's comfortable but nobody listens to stories about a guy who sat in a chair his whole life. And what I want is for God to write a decent story with my life. I don't want God to meet me someday or Jesus to meet me someday and say, well, that would have been good, but you had very little faith. I want to, when I meet Jesus, be able to say, wait till I tell you about my life. I know you know it all. But let me tell you what happened when I put a little bit of faith in you. Let me tell you what happened when I escaped the comfort, when I stopped looking at this system that I had built that was amazing, and I started living in a way that Jesus seemed to be living in me and around me. Don't you want to hear that story? Don't you want to live that story and tell that story? Don't you think your like Facebook would be more interesting? wouldn't be all just about stupid Olympics, right? We'd actually have a story. And then when we go to share Jesus with people, we're not sharing ideas about Jesus. When I talk to people about God, I don't tell them about 
the 16 different theological categories I've learned because that's boring. What I tell them about is the amazing story that God is writing in my life. I tell them about the things that he's done that I've caught on to. He's probably done a lot that I'm not catching and I'm not catching on to. I'm not captain of whatever that spaceship is, all right? But the times when Jesus is working in my life and I kind of catch that wave and it goes really far and really fast are awesome. And they're the stories that I like to tell. And we sit around at dinner and talk about those awesome times. And we talk about the really difficult times. But we tell stories about when we were having this conversation. Not the times when I was really in my rut. Not the times when I was acting like a Pharisee and a Sadducee and I was actually united against what God was trying to do. There's no like one, two, three step plan for this either. Except for maybe looking at your own life and trying to evaluate your comfort level. Maybe you need to find some people who love you enough to tell you the truth about that. I would bet if you ask people, people love to point out the things that are wrong with others. You just need to find some people that love you. But everyone is willing to tell you what's wrong with you. It's true, right? Well, they're already talking about it in their own heads. They're just, you just want them to vocalize it. But having that and being able to shun the comfort and shun the old system and move into something great and move into a story, a life that your grandkids and your great-grandkids will want to hear about, that your friends will want to hear about. A life of interesting. There's no like one, two, three, or ABC, or this week do these four things, except for this. Throw yourself fully and throw your trust fully on Jesus. Because what I think it is to follow Jesus isn't to believe a set of things that we've set up. Like here, I've checked these boxes. I think it's to throw yourself fully into what Jesus is doing and what he wants to do with your life. To me, that's what trust is. That's what faith is. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things about Jesus and about God. But then I know a lot of people who've thrown their full lot in with God and thrown their full life in with Jesus. And this is all, this is, there's no like backup plan. There's no rational explanation. It's here's where we're going because I think this is what Jesus is calling me to do. You want to know who I like having conversations with? You know who you like having conversations with? Not the guys who have it all figured out, but the guys who live it. That's where you want to be. That's where we want to be. And it's not a one, two, three, now I'm there. It's a every day and every moment. Like today, like we're going to pray in a second and you say, all right, so today's going to be the first day. I'm going to just throw myself in fully with Jesus and see what he has. I'm going to read the Bible, and then I'm going to actually do it. And we're going to see what happens. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. Let's see what happens. It might go awesome. It might get really bad really fast. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. His life just went downhill. And he kept doing it. Because there's this joy and this interest and this amazingness that Jesus brings to your life when you put your faith fully in him. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up, and you're going to do it again. And then by 10 o'clock, you'll have blown it, and you start over. Right? 
It's the great secret of AA meetings. I'm following Jesus for the next 10 minutes. And we'll see you the next 10 minutes after that. I'm doing the next hour. I'm doing this week. And we'll see you about next week. And all of a sudden, it's an interesting story. So I want to pray for us. I'm not going to pray that you follow three steps. I'm not going to pray that you do something magic. I'm not going to pray for a sign in your life from God. I'm going to pray that maybe for the rest of church today, you put your faith fully in Jesus. And then maybe on the way home you do too. And then maybe the rest of the today and maybe tomorrow. That we actually start living. Not like we know a lot of stuff, but like we've thrown our full faith into Jesus. So let me pray for you. And if this seems to resonate with you, I want to invite you to have that conversation with God as well. I'll lead us in prayer as a community, but if you feel like this is a conversation that you and Jesus or you and God need to have, then I think maybe that would be something that you can do. So Lord, as a group, we throw ourselves fully at your mercy. We pray that what is interesting about us might be you. And for some of us, it might be the next 10 minutes. It would be the first 10 minutes that we decide to live a life of actually following Jesus. And maybe we've known things about you for years and decades. But we feel like if you ask this, do we know you? Do we know what you're talking about? Like you're having the whole different conversation. That's the conversation we want to have. And for some of us, there's this nagging suspicion that there's something more to this life, that there's something more going on. And that's where we want to live. And so for the rest of today, that's what we ask for. And it might look mundane. We might have a nap and watch TV and whatever. But then tomorrow, we want to read your Bible in the morning and pray to you. We might not even know what to say, but we want to actually have a conversation. We actually want you to work in our lives, and we want to have the eyes to be able to see it. So all across this room, Lord, as we throw ourselves fully on you, may you move in that way. May you lift us up into the most exciting lives that we could possibly imagine. Life to the fullest, as you promised in the Gospel of John. May that be ours, even today. Amen.